0: Well, let me invite you uh, now to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 14, and uh, we will uh, pick it up in verse 19 and focus primarily on verse 22. Uh, We're moving towards the end of Paul's first missionary journey. He's been ministering and preaching to the Galatian region, which has comprised a number of churches, including Antioch and Iconium. Iconium and Lystra, and Derby. And he's going to complete his task, and then he's going to turn around and go back through all those churches again. And he's going to be there to minister to them, to build them up in their faith, to establish leaders in those churches, and also to eventually make his way back to his sending church, his home church, Antioch of Syria, and give a missions report. Because they're being sent out from that church and they're obligated to go back and give an account for what the Lord did through their ministry. So Paul has uh, been stoned at Lystra from preaching the gospel. And we're going to pick it up uh, in verse 19 and read down through verse 22 and start the return trip back to his home church. So let me begin reading in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, and please give careful attention to the reading of God's inspired word. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had many, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And may God bless the reading of His Word. So they've gone to the end of the first missionary journey. They've ended up in Derby. Uh, We find that in verse 21, Paul preached the gospel there. Many came to faith. And then they did an about face and they started tracing their way back to the churches they'd already preached at And they began strengthening them and again encouraging them in the faith. And what I want to look at verse is uh, primarily verse 22. Because uh, this was their mission on their return trip. And basically it involved several things. Uh, Number one in verse 22, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is a a very graphic word. To strengthen means to make firm and and to make them unchanging in their belief so that they don't give way to the doubts and the attacks of the enemy. To strengthen their souls involved fortifying their faith in Christ and their resolve to live for Christ come what may. And not only were they strengthening... Uh, Their souls, in verse 22, they were encouraging them to continue in the faith. And to encourage, as you probably know, means to inject courage into someone. And here they are instilling within them the courage, the, the motivation to abide faithfully in and hold tenaciously to the truths of the gospel. Now notice in verse 22, they're encouraging them to continue in, not in faith, but in the faith. And usually in the Greek, whenever you find the article the in front of faith, it's referring to the faith delivered once and for all to the saints. The faith, that is that body of doctrine and Christian theology and truth upon which the gospel is founded. So they went back through each of those churches, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the doctrines, the Christian truth, that body of Christian doctrine that that was uh, delivered to them by the apostles. Now, no doubt that meant that they were Uh, reminding them and reinforcing to them and teaching them afresh from the Scriptures that God is their Creator, that God's providence is behind all of the blessings that they receive, that Jesus Christ is His only begotten Son, our only Savior, who died on the cross and bore the penalty for our sins, And through him and him alone you can find salvation. That he arose bodily from the dead on the third day, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That no doubt emphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit, emphasize the truths of the gospel, and that you're justified by grace through faith alone, not of your works. They no doubt taught them the principles of how the church should be established. And they went on to to establish leaders. And we'll look at that again next time. And also the standards for Christian conduct. How to live a life that honors Christ. And what it means to worship God. And the importance of gathering together regularly to worship on and on and on, no doubt, is what is involved when they were encouraging them to continue In the faith, the doctrines of Christianity that they must hold dear and that they must embrace and defend against those who would seek to tear them down. But one of the messages also that they were leaving each church as they made their way back to their home church is found at the end of verse 22 that they were also saying to all these different churches. That through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is part of their strengthening process. Their encouragement is to realize that they should expect troubles and trials and sorrows and sufferings in this life. Christianity is normal with troubles. Jesus had already defined this for His disciples when He said, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Every child of God will have his crosses that he must carry, that he must bear, without exception. That's true of every one of us. Now when we talk about this, I think the Apostle Paul and Barnabas uh, was wanting to encourage them because they had seen Paul and Barnabas, particularly Paul, suffer tremendously. He had already been stoned at Lystra. But they wanted to, to fortify their faith. They wanted to remind them that this is a part, this is a natural, normal part of Christianity. So don't be surprised by it. And focusing on the aspect of tribulations, Paul is not being a pessimist. He's not forgetting the myriad of blessings that we also receive from God's hand. But mixed with those blessings, there will be tribulation. And he wants to put some backbone into their faith. So that when troubles come and trials come and sorrows come, they don't cave in and cry, oh, woe is me! And they lose hope and become depressed and discouraged. No, He wants to fortify their faith by understanding that this is part of God's plan for them and part of His purpose. And that should change how they think about those tribulations. Now Paul, as an individual, of course, suffered more than most. In fact, remember when God called Paul, Saul was his name at that time back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, He gave him his job assignment. And his job assignment was to make known the name of Christ in front of the Gentiles and kings and the peoples of Israel. But He also said, and I will show you how much you must suffer for My name's sake. Now probably when you got your last job, your job assignment didn't include that part. Probably didn't say, okay, here's what you're going to do for the job. You're going to do this and this and this. And by the way, you're going to suffer a lot. I mean, how many people would take a job like that? And yet that was imposed upon the Apostle Paul. So that he could later on write, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And later on, he'll write to the Corinthian church that five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Rods. Once I was stoned, that was here in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked, and on and on and on. And very little of this is revealed in the book of Acts. One shipwreck, he had three. One stoning, that's all of that. The five times of receiving the Jewish 39 lashes, the three times of being beaten with rods, that's not even recorded in the book of Acts. He suffered tremendously. More than most for the glory of God. But this is not just suffering and tribulation and troubles that's reserved just for the apostles. This is for every child of God. To the church at Philippi, this is what Paul wrote to them, to all the believers in the church of Philippi. He says, To you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Every child of God You've been promised and given two precious gifts. One is faith. Two is suffering. And both of those are God-given. And, and Paul uses a word that emphasizes it's a grace gift. It's a grace gift to you. So with that in mind, let's begin to look at verse 22. Through this amazing promise that Paul gives to all the churches as he's making his way back to Antioch through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God well let's break it down the path of our tribulations is that we must go through them it's interesting that back when I was in seminary and I was studying Greek and we were studying all the Greek prepositions, uh, they had a circle. And to help you visualize all these Greek prepositions, they would put the Greek preposition in relationship to this circle. So the Greek word for under, they would stick it under the circle. Over or above, they would stick that Greek preposition, that word on top of the circle. Another one would be you're in the circle. Another one would be you're along the side of the circle. But the dia, the one that means through, goes from one side into the circle and out the circle. And that graphically pictures what we will do with our tribulations. We will go through them. Now that's very significant. Uh, Practically on several levels. If we go through tribulations, it implies that you're going to experience them. You're not going to be on the outside looking in. No, you're going to actually taste the bitterness of them. You're going to feel the pain and the frustration and the discouragement and the anxiety and worry and fear and even anger at times. You will experience. You will go through it. Your emotions, your mind, your body will be in it. It's experienced. It's experienced. So that all the pain and grief, you know it personally and practically. That's a part of the significance of what it means to go through, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's why the health and wealth and prosperity gospel is such a line of deception. And it's really of Satan, because in some way it promises to you that you can avoid all that if you have enough faith. And that's a lie. We are promised that we will go through tribulations. And again, this is not to deny all the blessings that we have that encourage our faith, but you're going to have your share of tribulations as well. But also, another practicality of the fact that we're to go through the tribulations is that we go through them. You don't go in them and then sink in quicksand and never come out. You go through it. You go in and then you go out. And that is a blessed encouragement. Now, some of our tribulations, it is true, will be in them until we leave this life. But eventually, you're going to get out. You're going to go through them. You're never going to be permanently stuck in them. And God has ordained the ending time. In other words, there is a beginning date and an end date for every tribulation. Every tribulation has an expiration date stamped on it. Just like some of that food in your cupboard or, or medicine prescriptions in your medicine cabinet. You know, I was looking at one the other day. I looked at it it expired like five years ago. You know? Well, every trial, every tribulation that we have from God, we go through it. In it, and then out of it by the grace of God. So persevere in your tribulations, for you shall surely overcome, because Christ has ordained it. And remember that your trial and your troubles and your tribulations are temporary. You may be in the middle now, But a day is coming when you will be out on the other side walking in the light again. So be encouraged. So the path of our tribulations is through them. Well, how about the number of our tribulations? Many. Now we wish Paul had not said many. I would have preferred for him to say few or none. But he promises through God that there will be many. Not a few, but a lot. Now this should encourage those of you who feel that you're in the midst of many troubles because that means you're right on schedule. You're right where God wants you to be because He has promised that we will have many tribulations. Now the word many implies again several things. It implies uh, many different kinds. It's not just all persecution that Paul is talking about. It's the trials of life. It's the physical ailments that we have. It's the emotional struggles. It's, it's, you'll have many tribulations. The word tribulation is not limited to persecution. It's more of a general word. Remember when Paul later on will write a letter to these Galatians... And he'll write to them in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13 and 15. He says, because of a bodily illness, I first came and preached the gospel to you. And if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And that Paul's illness, he describes, was so much a trial to the Galatians that they normally would have despised him and loathed him. So apparently, it was some kind of a bodily affliction totally unrelated to persecution. This was just a sickness or an illness or a disease or something that he had that, he had, that first caused him to preach the gospel to the Galatians. So many tribulations, all kinds of tribulations, not just persecution alone, but trials that come to us from all different directions. They can be physical tribulations, spiritual tribulations, mental, emotional tribulations, and you will have many of them, he promises. Now, if our trials and tribulations are many, that means you will go through seasons of your life where it is not fun at all. It is painful, it is difficult. The actual Greek word for tribulation here actually originally meant to apply pressure upon something. Think of a vice, men, in your workshops. You put something in the vice and you begin to to turn the handle and the two big, huge metal pieces come in and just squash and squish and crush and and press whatever it is you're trying to destroy or, or work on. The word tribulation is that applying pressure. This could actually be external pressure or internal pressure. But it's applying pressure to the point of crushing and bursting you on the inside. Ladies, for you, think of a garlic press. Get your little clove of garlic and you have your little press thing. You stick it in the little pocket. And then you begin to squeeze down on it. And it squishes, and you hear it crunching, and you hear it squishing. And then out of all the little holes come what? That's what we look like when we come out of our tribulation. We're just squeezed out as a gooey mess. But that's the idea of tribulation, that's what it does to you. It's not fun. These are tough times when we go through tribulations. But Paul says, you're going to have many of them. So toughen up. Know that this is part of God's plan for you. Trust Him. He's wise. He knows what He's doing. Tribulations can then crush the soul with its weight so that we... Feel we can't hold up or hold together anymore. We feel mangled and broken and squeezed through those little holes that we're disoriented. We're kind of ripped apart. And again, it can be caused by either outward circumstances, financial trials, health trials, or, or inward circumstances. Just the fear, the, 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 the worry, the anxiety of, of something looming in the future. But what Paul promises us is that through many, the number of them will be many. And these tribulations are going to be unique to you. In other words, that God has ordained them for you. They are tailor-made for you. And you are not wise when you compare yourself and your trials with somebody else. They have their lot. You have your lot. God has specifically chosen the trials and the tribulations for you as an individual. And there will be many of them through many tribulations. And again, this is normal Christianity. If you are here this morning and you do not have a lot of tribulations, you're abnormal. We love you anyway. The rest of us do. And you can praise God for the blessings of not having very many, but most of us will have our many tribulations in this life. The point is, expect them. Expect them. If you're not in the midst of one today, expect that it will come. But know there's always a purpose. There's always a plan. Thirdly, what is the necessity of our tribulations Well, that's given to us in the words, we must. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is not optional. The little Greek word implies a divine necessity. We must. Uh, When you became a Christian, God did not allow you to pick your plan for the Christian life. Plan A, no tribulations. Plan B, a few. Plan C, a lot. He doesn't give us that option. He says through many tribulations, we must. You cannot escape it. They are a necessary part of God's sovereign plan for your life. And because it's ordained by God, we can find great comfort in those many tribulations. I love what Spurgeon... It's probably one of my favorite Spurgeon quotes. This is what he said. He said, God's people have their trials. It was never designed by God when He chose His people that they should be an untried people. No, they were chosen in the furnace of affliction. They were never chosen to worldly peace and earthly joy. Freedom from sickness and pains of mortality was never promised them, but when their Lord drew up the charter of privileges, He included chastisements amongst the things to which they should inevitably be heirs. Trials are a part of our lot. They were predestined for us in Christ's last legacy so surely as the stars are fashioned by His hands and their orbits fixed by Him, so surely are our trials allotted to us. He has ordained their season and their place and their intensity and the effect they shall have upon us. So that good men and women should never expect to escape troubles. If they do, they will be disappointed. It is ordained of old that the cross of trouble should be engraved on every vessel of mercy as the royal mark whereby the king's vessels of honor are distinguished. But although tribulation is thus the path of God's children, they have the comfort of knowing that their master has traversed it before them. They have His presence and sympathy to cheer them. His grace to support them. And His example to teach them how to endure. And when they reach the kingdom, it will more than make amends for the much tribulation through through which they pass to enter it. Good words, Brother Charles. So the necessity of our tribulations is that we must enter into them. We'll go through them and that's our pathway to the kingdom of God. So finally, the for the end of tribulations, what's the ultimate goal? What's the destiny? What's the end point of our tribulations? Well, Paul says is to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, tribulations and trials and sorrows and troubles are the pathway to glory. So that our tribulations have a purpose. They have a part of a plan which ends in bringing every child of God into the presence of our Heavenly Father. And tribulations help prepare us for that glory that still awaits us in the future. Our tribulations prepare us for Entering the kingdom of God in that it is designed to make us more like Christ. Our tribulations are designed to prepare us for glory by making us more like Christ. Christ was predestined to suffer and we are predestined to be conformed to His image. So we can expect a measure of suffering too. In fact, First Peter said this, chapter 2, the Apostle Peter He says to all the believers that He's writing to that you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. So as Christ suffered for us, so we suffer for Him. It's a part of the Christian life that He has ordained. Now, how does that happen? Well, tribulations give us an opportunity to become more like Christ. Not only in sharing tribulations because Christ had His tribulations and we have our tribulations so we become like Him in sharing tribulations but also we can become like Him more spiritually if we respond the right way in the midst of our tribulations. Well, how did Christ respond in His in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was facing the most intense, agonizing, Pressure of facing the cross. And in the midst of that, how did Jesus respond? Not My will, but Thine be done. So that when you're going through tribulations, how do we respond? Do we respond the way Christ did? Or do we get upset and angry with God because of all these things that have happened in our life? Do we demand that we press on to get our way or do we submit and yield like Jesus did and said not my will but thy will be done see when God gives us the grace to respond that way to our tribulations then we become Christ-like in sharing his character as well So the tribulations are necessary in preparing us to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, by making us more like Christ. And also in making us like Christ just to help us grow in grace and faith. You know, one of the key ways that God does this in your life and mine to help us grow spiritually is to send us tribulations and trials to get our attention when we're straying away from Him. This is part of the ministry of our Heavenly Father who chastens every child that He has. But you can see this truth in, in the story of the prodigal son. We're all very familiar with that in Luke 15. The prodigal son demanded uh, and took his inheritance from his father to a distant country. And there he squandered his whole estate on loose and immoral living. And then there was a severe famine that came into the land. The son became impoverished. And he had to hire himself out to feed swine. And even though his own stomach was empty and the pig's belly was full, and though he was starving, no one would give him anything to eat. And then it says, he came to his senses. And he remembered how his father's hired men had plenty of food And yet he was dying of hunger. So he made a decision to go to his father and confess his unworthiness to be his son and to plead that his father would hire him on as a a servant. Well, we know the story well as he's approaching his father's home. His father sees him and runs out and embraces him and kissed him and Put the best robe on him and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and killed the fatted calf for a grand celebration that his son had come back. And what a glorious reunion that story gives to us. But what caused the prodigal to return to his father? It was the famine, it was the trial. It was the empty stomach, the shame of sinfully squandering all of his wealth, the indignity of his own poverty, the disgrace of being in a pig pen feeding swine. You see, it was his tribulation, his afflictions that made him long for his father again. And so God has ordained that we go through many tribulations and we must go through them to enter the kingdom of God because In many ways, that's how God deals with our waywardness, our sinfulness. Not all of our tribulations are because of of sin. But in His love, sometimes they are. And He uses them to bring us back to Him. And that prepares us for the kingdom of God. You see, the key to reversing the prodigal's disgrace is to see the Father's face that was the key the key to reversing all that he had gone through all of the shame of his disgrace was to return and gaze upon the father's face and feel the father's embrace and all of this is the work of grace this is what god accomplished through sending the famine through sending the pig pen. So how blessed are those tribulations that make a wayward child return return home from his disgrace to gaze upon the Father's face. And that in turn is preparing us to spend eternity with Him. I love John Newton who summarized this when he said, Afflictions, though they seem severe in mercy, oft are sent. They stopped the prodigal's career and forced him to repent. And so God uses our tribulations in many ways to make us more like Christ and to deal with our sin when it's appropriate. So that God sent the famine to the Son, and the famine sent the Son to the Father. These God-ordained trials and tribulations are a powerful weapon in God's arsenal to sanctify each one of His children. And we must learn to interpret them accordingly. And that's why I love some of the great hymns that have captured this truth. And they encourage us to look at your tribulations from, from God's perspective. From the perspective of, of what God is intending to do. Not how you normally want to interpret them, but look at them from God's perspective. So William Cooper wrote, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace behind a frowning providence He hides a smiling face. So that you may be experiencing a tribulation or a frowning providence, but you can know that behind that is God's loving, smiling face. He means it for your good. He means it to make you more like His Son. Trust in Him. And as we sang earlier that great hymn, How Firm a Foundation, When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, My grace, all sufficient, shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. That's God's purpose. And you believe it and you trust in it. So that none of our tribulations are designed to prevent us or keep us out of the kingdom of God. No, we will go in them and through them and out of them. We shall enter the kingdom of God at last. We shall all arrive safely at our heavenly Father's home. We will persevere by His grace through all of those tribulations. So whatever trials you're going through today, they're not a roadblock for you. They're not a dead end. They are God's ordained path that we must all take to reach His heavenly kingdom. So therefore we must learn to find joy in the journey. Joy in the journey. The journey is full of many tribulations. But I think the Lord would have us to find joy in the journey. And that's why we're encouraged to do that by Paul in Romans 5 when he says we exult in our tribulations. And Peter can say later on, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And Paul can later say that though my outer man is decaying, my inner man is being renewed day by day. They're finding joy in the journey, though the journey is long with many tribulations. Why can they find joy? How can we find joy in our journey? Well, it's to know that the journey is taking you someplace. is to know that there is a purpose in the tribulations. As Paul went on to say, we exult in our tribulations knowing that our tribulations bring about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. That is hope in the glory of God. So that instead of focusing always on the troubles and the trials, we say, We focus on what God is using them to produce within us. And ultimately, where they are leading us into His kingdom in heaven. And when we focus upon the purpose of the tribulations and the end of the tribulations, then we can find joy in the journey. Not because the tribulations make us happy, but because of what those tribulations are accomplishing in our heart and life. And if we focus on that and ultimately the glory, the prize, as Paul says that all of his sufferings are are producing for him an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we focus on the end of our tribulations, then we can find joy in the journey. To do that, we must learn to consciously choose not to think about our tribulations the way we want to or the way we naturally think about them. Oh, how bad this is. My life is ruined. I will never be happy again. I will never be whole again. Don't think that way. But rather, consciously choose to think about your trials and tribulations the way God wants you to think about them. That God is working this together for my good and His glory. That God has a divine purpose in this trial whether I understand that or not. That this is a necessary part of my sanctification, that it's preparing me for heaven, and that my Heavenly Father loves me, and this trial does not in any way change that reality, and that my trial is helping to refine me and make me more like Jesus Christ. And when we consciously choose to thank God's perspective, then again we can find joy joy in the journey. Though our life will be burdened by many tribulations, we must go through them because that's the path to glory. The encouragement as Spurgeon reminded us is that our Lord has already trodden that path before us. He has gone through trials and tribulations so deep, so painful, so incredible that we will never comprehend the depth of His sufferings. But He's gone through all of that to save us from our sins. He endured all of the tribulations of the judgment and the righteous wrath of God so all of His children can be absolutely forgiven forever. And because we are predestined to be conformed to His image, so we will share to a degree in those sufferings that Christ endured for us. And so as you go through your trials, we are now encouraged to draw our thoughts and our worship to Christ for the trials and the suffering that He endured for us. Set aside your concerns, your worries, your fears, your troubles, your pains, your aches, and think about what Christ endured on the cross for you. And yours will pale as very small in comparison with His. So as we hold the bread, we use unleavened bread. We like to break it so that we can at least audibly hear something of of a reminder of the flesh-tearing suffering of Christ being crucified on the cross for us. This is the Lord's Supper. It's designed for God's children, believers, and believers only. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your trust in Christ, then please observe. And we would encourage you to consider your sin and to realize that only Jesus Christ can forgive you and give you the hope of glory that you might repent and believe in Him and be saved. But for the rest of us who know the Lord, whether you're a member of this church or not, we encourage you to examine your heart, confess any sin, and then freely partake. So as we break the bread... Again, we are reminded that our Lord went through many tribulations. He experienced them. He suffered the pain. He tasted the bitterness. All so that He might bear the consequences of our sin and the justice of God that we might be forgiven. Now, Before the ushers come, let us give thanks to God for the bread And let us turn our hearts to worship Christ and respond to Him in praise and love and worship for the tribulations, the judgment, the wrath of God that He bore for us. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your great love for us that the height and depth and breadth of Your love is beyond all human comprehension. But we thank You that You sent Your Son to come and die on the cross to endure sufferings of which we will never have to endure as He bore Your just wrath for our wicked sins. And we thank You, Lord, that by grace You have opened our hearts to trust in Christ alone, to see the agony of Calvary as the only hope of my forgiveness and salvation. And so we just want to thank You, Lord. And we want to lay all of our troubles and all of our tribulations before You at the foot of the cross and lift our eyes off of them onto Christ and His sufferings. The greatest suffering of all. Because it cost Him that that we might be saved. So we want to bless You and thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.